Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and our lives. In Jesus Unmasked, we believe that Jesus would wear a mask during the time of COVID, and so should everyone. Yet in this podcast, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and we use the Common Lectionary. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, our weekly Bible study here on the Raven Foundation Facebook page and on the Clackamas United Church of Christ Facebook page. And uh, welcome, everyone. It's good to see you, or good to have you here. Uh, hi, Lindsay. Hi, Adam. Hi, everyone. Um, Lindsay has uh, is working on a very cool project right now, which is a power page for the Raven Foundation website, which is, what's the title of the power page? Um, right now, I only have a working title because I might think of something better, but the working title is Unlearning Violent Christianity. Yes, I am here for that. And I know everybody else is here for that too. Unlearning Violent Christianity. That's awesome. I can't wait uh, to, to check it out. So, well, and you're working, actually, you finished your draft of your ebook. Oh yes, I did. What is my ebook called? It's called Unlearning the Bible. Unlearning the Bible. We're unlearning so much this year already in the year 2021. Unlearning violent Christianity and unlearning violent, the toxic violence in the Bible, uh, which is something that we all need to we all need to go through, um, mm-hmm. or that I'm. I need to go through anyway, learn how to interpret the violent aspects of the Bible and violent aspects of Christianity. So uh, that's what we're here to do, including here on Jesus Unmasked. It's kind of our project. So um, thank you, everyone, for being here. And uh, we are going to read this passage from the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, verses 29 through 39. And it's near the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Uh, which is he's just had his baptism. And last week we talked about how Jesus was in the synagogue, what we would call a a, a church, a place of worship. And uh, the demons were there too, right there in the place of worship. And uh, Jesus is taking his disciples now into Capernaum, into Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And so that's the, uh, that's the setup for this passage. And friends, if you are watching or listening and you have questions or comments about this passage, you can put those in the chat section. Um, so as I read, I just invite you to uh, to listen in and you can put comments, questions in the chat section and we'll bring those up. So friends, this is Mark chapter one, verses 29 through 39. And it goes like this. As soon as Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, They entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. 
He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons and the whole city was gathered around the door and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in the, their synagogues and casting out demons. So that's the end of our passage. And um, Lindsay, I, there's, there's a little thing that we might want to talk about right here mm -hmm. at the beginning, mm -hmm. which is that Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, right? That's a good mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. But my inner feminist gets really upset because she goes and she serves him. She serves all of them. Shouldn't like the men serve her? After all, she's like just been sick. Shouldn't she get some rest? I mean, my inner person who loves soft beds and luxury... <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call it my inner feminist because I don't find this anti-feminist. Although I can see why I can see why it may seem that way, but that's something we should unlearn, I suppose. Um, I mean, yes, my inner person who would really love to rest says, yes, those men should serve her. And you know, I mean they should. That's that's the compassionate thing to do, I think. Mm -hmm. Um but one thing about Mark that's really um, that's really uh, just so evident about the way Mark writes is that he doesn't waste time. Mm -hmm. Mark, you know, Mark is all action. So John waxes poetic theologically and it's beautiful. And Matthew goes into long genealogies and Luke goes into a different genealogy and a birth narrative, but Mark gets straight to the action. And, um, and you know, this, this, this woman is getting straight to the action. She's serving. And that might seem like, oh, well, there's a patriarchal culture going on and the woman gets up and she's just had a fever, but she knows her place. She knows her duty. She goes and serves the men. But what if that's not what it's talking about? What if she's not fixing them dinner? What if she's not just pouring them tea? What if she is taking place in the ministerial work that all of the disciples take place in. I mean, who came to serve? You know, she she recognizes herself as a servant, as a one whose job it is to serve. Who else recognized a place as a servant? 
Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The son of man came to serve. Yeah. This is why this, this story and how it's told is so important because Jesus throughout his ministry tells these guys, the disciples, the men, that the whole point of his project, the whole point of the good news is to serve one another, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the way that we're going to love our neighbor as we love ourselves is by serving one another, right? That's, that's the yeah. message that Jesus gives. Who is the first person in, in scripture who lives out this message? It's this woman here. It's this Peter's woman, mother. I mean, yeah. She is the first. She gets it. She gets it. Mm -hmm. In response to this radical service that Jesus gives to her, what does she do? She imits, She follows Jesus, which is what Jesus says throughout his ministry. Follow me. She's the first one to follow him mm -hmm. in his ministry. Now, how do the men respond to Jesus? Throughout his ministry, they argue about which one of yeah. them is the greatest. Mm -hmm. they, race, they, they race to the tomb trying to out, outrun each other, even to the tomb. It's a competition among them. Mm -hmm. Jesus is constantly having to tell the men, me, me too, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not about a competition. It's about service to one another. So this story is a radical story right here at the beginning, which has been abused by Christian men to say, to confirm an anti-women message that a woman's place is in the kitchen. So yeah. it's really important to point out how men have typically abused this passage to completely miss the point, like the men throughout scripture tend to do, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the whole point is to serve one another as Jesus has served us, which is what this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, does. Yeah. Throughout scripture, women get it first. It's uh -huh. just, it's just, um, I mean, it's it's so clear throughout scripture. I mean, when when Mary becomes well oh, actually when elizabeth becomes pregnant with john the baptist yes. her husband is like you're a pregnant woman that's impossible you're too old and then the angel of the lord says shut up and zachariah can't speak i mean that's that's like one of the very first things that happens before jesus is born before Jesus is even conceived, because John the Baptist is a few months older, um, before Jesus is even conceived, a man is literally silenced for a while. He gets to talk again later. It's not permanent. It's just he needs to learn a lesson. And then, um, and that's, you know, and then Mary gets like, um, the most badass warrior song ever. And then, yes, a woman is the first to actually follow Jesus and serve. Women proclaim the resurrection. Women, before they proclaim the resurrection, are there with Jesus when he is dying. And that's important because 
I mean, I've I've made this mistake before too. A lot of people have said Jesus was utterly alone on the cross. He was utterly, completely abandoned. Well, there were some women there with him who stuck with it to the end and first to go to the tomb, first to proclaim the resurrection. I mean, you know, I can see how the gospel has been twisted into an anti-woman message, but it really shouldn't be. Every time that happens, we should we should reclaim it. It's <laughs> I'll give you one more example and then we can then maybe we can move on to the to the next parts of the stories. But yeah. in the Gospel of John, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well at the very beginning of his ministry. And he changes her life and she goes to the town and tells all of the people in the town, including all of the men, about Jesus. <laughs> She's the first evangelist. The very first mm -hmm. evangelist is a woman. <laughs> yes. And when Jesus gets something wrong, it's because he says the wrong thing to a woman and she corrects him. Uh -huh. <laughs> He basically calls her a dog, and what? She, yeah, yeah. He calls her a dog, which is just rude. <laughs> and she follows his way, not to her, but his way in general of of forgiving enemies, forgive his way of forgiveness, and defusing the situation with both kindness and intelligence. And his response is basically, oh, you're right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, women are pretty awesome. Yeah. Anytime the gospel seems to be, anytime it seems to be patriarchal, it, it there, there, there was patriarchy. So, but, um, it's often in a subversive way when when it seems yeah. patriarchal. It's we miss a lot of the subversion of the patriarchy because we're we're out of that context. We don't see it. Like when when Mary of uh, Bethany is with the other male disciples at Mary and Martha's house, and she's sitting there at Jesus's feet with the other with the other disciples. She's a disciple. That's what disciples. Yeah did they sat at the feet of their rabbi when they were talking so mary of bethany is a disciple mm -hmm. so throughout the store throughout it's it's um it's elevating it's it's elevating uh women even when it looks like it's it's not because of our 21st century lens mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah and you know i am not a, i'm not a scholar of of Jewish culture, but I believe, and I know I could probably look and find evidence, but I believe that, you know, God's law for, for the people from the beginning was better for women than it was interpreted to be by the men who came into positions of power. Cause that's, that's actually always, that's that's what usually happens like goodness is set out for women it, it it's in islam too the sharia law is actually pretty progressive for women but men interpret it 
in a regressive and oppressive way so many times. Well, I'm glad that you said that because Jesus is not going against his Jewish identity in having this relationship with women. He's firmly within uh, within it. I mean, you look at uh, Jewish women leaders throughout the Bible, like Deborah, who's one of the great judges. And to be a judge is not like uh, handing down verdicts on law. It's the leader of Israel. She leads Israel and she's one of the great powerful leaders of Israel. Uh, later on, there's this book that gets discovered, which is called, we know it as Deuteronomy. And all of the priests are there and they don't know how to interpret it. They don't know what it means. And so they're like, we need a prophet. And you know who they call? They, pro they call this prophetess named Hulda. It's a woman who explains to all of these men what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. So Jesus is, is going deep within this pro-woman strand that yeah. is firmly rooted in, like, Ruth. I mean, take a look at Esther. Uh, oh, yeah. The, mm -hmm. the people don't survive if there's no Esther, right? Uh, she, is, she is a key element in all of this as well. So... Yep. I didn't know we were gonna start. We off. got deep into feminism, so yes. let's get to socialism and exorcism now. So okay, that sounds good. So what happens next in this story? You said socialism. Oh well, by I, by that I just mean free health care. And well, let's I go there, what happens? Um yeah, Jesus. Oh well, it says um the the disciples bring the sick and the possessed to Jesus and he cures the sick and casts out the demons and doesn't charge anything. Wait a minute. Wait, Jesus didn't charge them anything. Not even a copay. Well, no. And he didn't even like say he didn't even charge them with, well, now you've got to follow me or now you've got to worship me or, Hey, by doing this, I'm showing you that I'm God. So, you know, believe in me. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't do any of that. No religious bribery at all. No. Doesn't even say, uh, before I heal you, you must believe these certain doctrines about me like I'm the second person of the Trinity. Uh, doesn't do any of that. He just heals them for free. Yeah. What does, and then Jesus throughout his ministry says, follow me. So what does that mean for us, do you think? I, I hmm. hmm, what should we do with that? Put, uh, have a healthcare system that puts uh, a whole lot of people in debt? No, that doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't sound right, no? That doesn't <laughs> okay. sound right, no. No, 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 I, um, okay, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily joking with the word socialism, but I know people won't always interpret it that way. And I'm not, I'm not ready to talk about what the politics of Jesus were, but of course, socialism is very anachronistic. Um, he gave universal free healthcare. That's, that's a basic thing he did. So. Yeah. And um, in, in this passage, it says that there were many Jesus that Jesus healed in the gospel of Matthew, when it tells this story, it says that Jesus healed everyone. 
So there are some Christians who say, yeah, well, but Jesus didn't heal everyone who was brought to him. Um, actually, he did. Mm-hmm. In this passage, he heals the many. In other passages, he heals everyone who mm-hmm. is brought to him. Um, so I, Jesus was a healer. And in in throughout the ancient world, including in uh in first century Judaism, he wasn't the only healer. There were healers who charged people. Uh, and like the woman who, um, who, kept, who kept hemorrhaging, mm-hmm. we're told that she uh, went and saw many healers, but none of them could heal her. And she went and saw many healers, and so she was destitute because she kept spending money on these people who kept telling her, oh yeah, I'll heal you. But they never actually did. And worse, they put her in debt. They made her destitute. So you do have these different models of what we might call healthcare in uh, in the days of Jesus. Jesus refuses to charge people to put them in debt, whereas others, uh, whether they were snake oil salesmen or whatever, um, did. Uh, and Jesus refused to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, healthcare is so. We really need to think about healthcare as as total healthcare, and and just how how our health, how whether or not we are well in mind, body, and spirit. It has it has to do with more than just our physical health. Um, if we're economically destitute, I mean that's of course that's going to affect our health, our physical health, our mental health. And then you know there are cycles, and um, yeah, Jesus is calling on us to take care of each other in every in every possible way you know Jesus is calling us to serve each other in every possible way not everyone is a healer but when everyone is living into their full capacity we are all better off so if Jesus didn't have to charge anything by restoring people to their own fullness the goodness will come back around through the world not in a term, not in terms of a fee, but in terms of he's just made all these people, brought them into their full potential. That is going to make the world better, and that will make things better for Jesus. I mean, not before he's crucified, but I mean, but it's, I mean. I mean, it will make things better for Jesus because Jesus is God and we make things better for God by being better to each other because God is with all of the suffering. So how do we make God happy? By helping people not suffer. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. What do you do with uh, the demon language in this? Um, it's, It's one of the difficult things. I think we talked about it a little bit last week as well. But one of the things that you that you brought up is uh, not just like physical healing and care for our bodies, but also for our souls as well. 
And so I would hope that, uh, you know, um, whatever kind of universal healthcare gets gets established when it hopefully gets established, that it's also for mental health, mm-hmm. which is so crucial uh, that we're seeing more and more um, throughout the United States. So, yeah, mental and spiritual health, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it says he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And that's, those are always weird phrases to me. Why would, you know, what is it? What does that really mean? Um, Because it's so often interpreted as Jesus didn't want his name on a demon's lips because he was so holy. And, you you know, it it just sounds, it kind of sounds like, you know, get your get my name out of your mouth, you filthy, filthy demon, you. But I mean, that's a very personal Jesus's ego way of interpreting it. I don't think that's what it means at all. I think, I think demons are liars or the conditions that make us feel our worst about ourselves that might bring out our worst or the ways in which we could be marginalized or shunned because you know the ways in which we could have we could be marginalized or shunned because we're not fitting in with a status quo all of that is a lie it's a lie because it it you know all of these are things that keep us from living into our fullest selves and keep and sometimes these are things that prevent us from seeing the fullness of others. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, sometimes when people are marginalized, it's not them, it's the rest of us that have a problem. Yeah. I think Jesus is saying, you know, I'm not going to allow these lies to, I'm not going to allow these lies anymore. Mm-hmm. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free and the lies will be silenced. I, I just, yeah. Um, that's what I think it means. I don't think it means, oh, Jesus is so holy. <laughs> he, he, his holiness comes from the fact that he wants us all to live into our fullest selves, not because he wants to set himself apart from us. Well, I think part of the holiness that you see in Jesus is like with every culture, um, if you, the, there can be a sense in which if you touch someone who's sick, you might get sick too. Or if you touch someone who's a sinner, uh, you might get part of their sin. Like it can be contagious, right? Well, what does the holiness of Jesus do? It causes him to go straight to those who are marginalized and isolated. And he even touches Peter's mother-in-law, right? Maybe she hasn't been felt a human touch in a long time. And here... Jesus is going straight to what might be seen as unholy with his holiness to say you belong, even you belong. Now, of course, that interpretation is tricky with the pandemic (laughs) that we're now experiencing. But how do you give a sense of people who are, we're all feeling isolated, like Peter's mother-in-law probably was. How do you give a sense of humanity, of, of connection uh, during this time is something that Peter, that Jesus does with Peter's mother-in-law. Um, I mean, of course, 
they didn't have Zoom or anything like that. Is that true? Yes. But, yeah. Um, I mean, we live in a time when we can make it possible to socially distance. And we don't do that for everyone. We still, there are still people who are homeless who, you know, can't go into the privacy of their home and, and wait it out. And, um, and of course we still have people, people working, but we can make things as safe as possible for the people who need to work. Like, I mean, we still depend on, on grocery store workers and everything, um, who can't do their jobs remotely. Yeah live in a time when we could make it all possible and jesus didn't he lived in a time where if you were isolated you would die and so when plagues broke out early christian communities would care for each other and they did survive at better rates it wasn't because of herd immunity or anything like that it was because you did die if you were isolated and they did make each other feel better by caring for each other. That doesn't mean contagions aren't contagious, but it does mean that real human touch does have power. So Jesus lived in that time and yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so what happens next in the story is Jesus wakes up early the next morning and he goes out to the wilderness to be by himself to pray. Um, mm -hmm. So my inner introvert is really excited about this. You need alone time. Uh, you need time to, I don't know what, recharge your batteries, um, get away from all of the crowds, the people who thrust their expectations upon you um, to maybe prove yourself more by doing more healings. Jesus needs to get away from the pull of the crowd so that he can reunite with the one who's just called him the, the son. Uh, with whom he's well pleased, that he doesn't have to prove himself to God because he's already God's son, um, yeah. as we are all God's beloved children. Uh, so, but then something really weird happens, <clears throat> and the people come searching for him. And uh, Peter comes to him and says, Hey, man, they're all like looking for you. And so Jesus is like, All right, let's go to the next town because my job is to continue teaching and preaching the good news to the next town. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. So if they really want to, they really need him, they can follow him. Yes. Here's one of here's one of the really interesting things about this story and its historical context is, do you know where military leaders, people who would call themselves like the next Messiah, but they would be like the next self-proclaimed Messiah who would lead an army? Uh, a crowd, a crowd of people against the Roman Empire. Do you know where they would start that? Out in the desert was the mm -hmm. place where they would gather their new army together uh, to go and try to fight off the Romans. So this passage here is, in the first century context, a an anti-violent passage. A passage where Jesus says, all right, guys, I am not the Messiah who is going to lead all of your expectations that I uh, get rid of Rome for us. But what is my job? It's to not to fight off Rome, but to keep teaching mm -hmm. and preaching about God's love and to keep healing people. So I did not know that. 
Great. I mean, I, yeah, that's a, I did not know that armies were trained in the desert, but of course it makes sense because you want to try to get away from everyone so you won't get caught building up a giant army. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> so there's Jesus always kind of giving, uh, altering expectations of who he is. And, you know, there were, there are first century Jews who had many different expectations about who the Messiah would be. Um, not all of them uh, wanted a violent Messiah who was going to take over Rome. Some of them uh, wanted somebody who would lead them to be more and more um, holy. Uh, and that was the problem. And if we just became more and more holy, uh, then Rome would leave us alone because we were following what God wanted us to do. Um, mm -hmm. So but they would go out into the desert too, I would think. Yes. Right? Yeah, I mean, yes. That's like John the Baptist and the Essenes uh, who were like, this whole temple system is corrupt. And so let's just go out and find God out in the desert, um, which I think Jesus does some of that too, um, especially in this story. So. Well, he does, but he always he always comes back. Yeah. Always see? comes back to the people. So, people. anything else on this passage, Lindsay? Um. Well, honestly, honestly, not yet. I mean, I think we covered it pretty well. I think we did. Yeah. Men should be silent. That's the uh, that's the thing that I learned the most. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you everyone for watching and uh, for listening. You can keep up with Jesus Unmasked uh, every Wednesday here on the Clackamas United Church of Christ Facebook page and the Raven Foundation Facebook page. You can also watch or listen to us wherever you watch your podcasts. Um, so thank you everyone for being here. And uh, until next week, um, grace and peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.